0: This is Haley Beebe, the CarbLine Color Admin. Welcome to the CarbLine Tech Service Podcast, the go-to industrial coatings podcast. Here are your hosts, Jack Walker and Paula James. All
1: right, here we go, Paul. Another edition of the CarbLine Tech Service Podcast. How you been? It's been a couple weeks. It sure has, Jack, but it's been going really well.
0: We've been busy doing a lot of stuff. We've had, uh, you know, we're continuing on through the new corrosion schools and everything. So it's been a it's been sure. a busy couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, you got your presentation today, the day that we record this, I believe. And hopefully you all tuned into that last Thursday to hear Paul talk about what is it that you talk about? Uh, this is making coding recommendations. So, okay. you know, I kind of live in one little zone here. <laughs> I would say I don't think you're familiar with that topic. <laughs> I don't know if you're qualified, sir. Yeah, I give it a shot every once in a while. I'll dive in. So anyway, yeah, we we had to do a couple reruns uh, just due to some things going on. Uh, drink your water, kids. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> drink your water, kids. <laughs> But today we're going to take a chance to expound on a topic we did not so long ago. We had an episode where we talked about secondary containment and that was episode 151. We talked about secondary containment and we're going to move to the next evolution from that because we talked about the coatings and things that you would use for your main part of the containment. But today we want to take a little bit of time and talk about some of the ancillary systems that you would do in order to make sure that you have a good secondary containment system.
0: That's right. When we talk about secondary containment, it's not Just applying paint. Now, typically it's concrete, but applying paint to a substrate. There's a lot of other, dare I say, moving parts to a secondary containment system. And that's really what we need to be able to address to have a properly installed secondary containment system. We need to know about all of these areas that aren't just flat, smooth, and uniform surfaces.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good idea to review for a second the goal of a secondary containment system. And that goal is to make sure that anything that you store on your facility, if there were to be a leak in its primary containment, those chemicals don't end up out in the environment. So we have to make our secondary containment just as watertight as we would primary containment. That's right. So the difficulty in these is how do you deal with
0: areas where, whether it's a tank that's being bolted down into the ground How do you deal with that bolt and that foot where the foot is in contact with the concrete? Or most scenarios, you're going to have plumbing of some sort coming in and out of the area. You know, you're holding a tank, so you've got chemicals coming into and going out of that tank. Frequently, those are going to go through your containment walls. You frequently have expansion joints and you're going to have cracks, whether they're static or moving cracks. All of these things are going to need to be dealt with, not to mention the built-in things of sumps and trenches which are made to help manage any spills that might occur, or even just rainwater that happens.
1: Sure. One of the things, if you were paying attention, Paul threw a little pun in there about moving parts, and that's where it gets tricky because, you know, our main coating system, the Simstone 140s, 145s, 870s, those like that with the AFC or AFRC, they're going to do fine. That's, you know, your epoxies, your Novolac, your vinyl ester. The problem with those is they tend to be rigid when we talk about the coating system we use across the main secondary containment area. So we cannot go over control joints because, again, remember what we talked about with control joints and expansion joints and concrete. They're literally there so that the concrete doesn't crack when it moves. That's right. So how are we going to
0: prevent that joint from not causing the coating system to
1: crack? That's what we need to be able to address. Lot of people, this is a main source of frustration when you're dealing with concrete coatings, is applicators tend to want to just go over the control joints. I mean, I want to, I can't, it's not the right thing to do. And in some situations, maybe if containment isn't as big of a concern, you can get away more like in the flooring world, right, with going with a monolithic floor. But really, what's going to happen is at the point that there's movement, a rigid system will crack. So we got to treat it with a flexible. And there's several different kinds that we are going to look at. And whether that's an epoxy with high elongation and flexibility, polysulfide is another thing that we use. You can even go up to viton style polyelastomers yeah and so all of these things basically the thing that they have in common oh there's polyurea ones too the things that they have in common is that they are a coating that are usually high in solids and are flexible they're going to have some high degree of elongation their chemical resistance is really what's going to drive which one we use
0: that's right and based on their chemical resistance and what's there tells us what kind of treatment we need to install do we need to protect that elastomer from the chemicals within the tank or can that elastomer be exposed and that lends us to a couple of different techniques as to how are we going to install those more flexible parts to our rigid epoxy systems
1: all right guys for a long time we've been asked what's the next step where where are we going next after the carb line tech service podcast so i left paul behind Stole some of his guys, and we created a whole new thing. <laughs> it's called The Solution Spot. It's the new blog brought to you by Carboline. It's uh, got videos, got this podcast, got some really good articles. It really does. It's got articles. Of, some of
0: them are written by the guys in tech service. Some of them are written by some people in the field. And it's a great vision of how to get additional information. The videos, Some of the videos Jack and I created, some of them we've had other groups create and it's, they're all gathered into one spot. They're easy to find, easy to go through. Easily
1: searchable. Yes, yes. So if you want to find a list of podcasts and you want to find topics and you want to search it, the solution spot is your answer. So if you go to carbaline.com and then at the top, there's a little button that says blog. It's right next to news and events. Click on that. When you go there, you have this whole information hub. And that's why we couldn't just call it the blog. It right. has got all of our podcasts. So if you want to know, hey, when did they talk about water tanks? put it in, search it, and it brings up the relevant episodes, articles, and videos. It's www.carverline.com and the solution spot. Yeah, and so typically what happens is is you imply your main secondary containment system. Now you gotta come back and deal with anywhere where there could be a crack, or a break in the film, either due to movement or just due to the nature of things. So you're looking at things like you said earlier, the pipe penetrations, the equipment footings, all of these things that come in contact with your coating surface, especially if like within the case of equipment footings are drilled through, they all need to be sealed off to make sure that none of the chemicals leak out in case of a spill. For the most part, when you look at Equipment footings, pipe penetrations, things like that—they're going to be handled the same way. You're going to have uh, that elastomer basically be your interface between the coating system and that equipment, that piping, whatever. You're going to treat it like that. We have a really good book. It's called uh, Simstone Construction Details. It shows you how we do all of the different treatments. What I will say though is those are all pretty standard, and I don't really want to. They're not. There's not a whole lot of complexity to them. I really want to focus in on how you treat an expansion or control joint because there's two different ways and they differ depending on what kind of activity is going on in your containment area. Well, let's let's look here. We got two kinds. We have a treatment for foot traffic only and a treatment if there's vehicular traffic. Why don't we talk about the uh, vehicular traffic one because that's uh, pretty straightforward. There's not a lot of debate there.
0: All right, Jack. So one of the things that we see in common with most of these is the first thing you have to do is you start off with making sure that any joints or cracks or seams are clean and have solid material in them. Mm-hmm. Typically, what we're going to do is we're going to blow them down. You clean them out. Frequently, that was already done in the pressure washing or the the treatment as you started. But you usually want to make sure that you have v out the crack, especially for the smaller ones, because you want them to be big enough to be able to hold enough material to be able to perform the way that you want it to. Frequently, we're looking at something in the neighborhood of an inch or two wide for a joint that's going to get vehicular traffic. We need that surface to be about two inches wide so that there's enough elastomeric material to be able to expand and contract as we need to. If you have too little in there, it has a tendency to crack when it goes through. If you have too much, it does the same thing. The span that it needs to span is more than it can do.
1: And you're going to put backer rod in there as well, because that's important to, like you said, the thickness of this material will affect its elongation properties. If it's too thick or too thin, you know, if it's too thin, it'll be so flexible that it'll pull and pull and pull and then it'll finally break. If it's too thick, it's not going to have the uh, full properties and you'll, you'll get a break in the film a different way.
0: That's right. So what you're looking for when you're installing this backer rod is basically you're going to want the depth of your backer rod to be at its top part where the rounded portion is, that part is going to be half the width. So if you have a one inch wide crack, you're going to want your backer rod sitting at about a half inch in depth. That way you have the right amount of elastomeric material above it to be able to do it, but you haven't filled the whole void with elastomeric material. Because if you put too much in, it's going to shrink and you're not going to get the proper seal on the edges.
1: And that backer rod, performs a very important function that if you don't have the backer rod in there, you need to, at a bare minimum, put sand down at the bottom of the crack. And this is because we want two-sided adhesion when it comes to this treatment. So we're filling, with this treatment, we're filling it flush to the coating system on the floor. You come back and you scrape it. So it should be the same depth and smoothness at that control joiner crack. But with that backer rod, see, the coating adheres to the backer rod or it adheres to um, that sand instead of the concrete or whatever at the bottom of that hole. Because if you have three-sided adhesion with your joint material, that will also cut down on your your elongation. You just basically want it to be adhered on each side of the crack or control joint. That's right. You're looking
0: to make sure that you can bridge and hold it in place without it actually having to stick to the rest of the concrete surface.
1: And this is a good transition to the foot traffic uh, detail because there's one part of the foot traffic detail that nobody ever wants to do, and they always ask, "Why do I have to do it?" <laughs> and that is the bond breaker tape that goes in as a part of the detail for that. And the reason nobody wants to do it is because it's an extra step, right? You yeah. know, it's an extra step within there, but, um, what we're really doing, and we're going to have a really good video that explains this. It's going to be on the solution spot within the next couple of weeks. And really what that does, that bond breaker tape, it gives our coating that goes over the top, uh, some two-sided adhesion But it allows the elongation of that coating to really work because what you do with that bond breaker tape is, let's say you have a two inch wide crack. If you don't do the bond breaker tape, your movement is directly uh, associated with those two inches right there. But if you put bond breaker over the top of it and now that tape, basically you're giving it more ability to elongate. And basically the difference here is if you think about a rubber band and this is the video that we're going to have and show is if you put your fingers real close together on a rubber band and you start pulling, it doesn't have as much elongation, doesn't go as far. Right. But if you grab that rubber band a little bit farther apart and start pulling on it, it really has the ability to expand and contract like you would expect it to, and so much easier than if you're holding it close together.
0: Right. So what we're looking to do is to spread out that flexibility requirement, spread out that load over a wider space, which actually allows it to flex more and absorb more of those changes that are happening. There's those science words I was looking for. (laughs) Yeah, because really we are looking at this in a spot where If you think about a slab of concrete where you have two slabs right next to each other, they're going to expand and contract at different rates. They're going to move differently as loads are applied to them. So as you step into one spot or you drive a vehicle into one spot, that pad, that cement slab is going to depress a little bit more than the part that doesn't have a load on it yet. So you need something that's going to bridge those differences to allow those to flex without sacrificing the integrity of the system. That's why we try to spread that load out.
1: Yep. And then to take it one step even further with foot traffic, we're going to use an engineering fabric uh, that we embed into our flexible Uh, basically over the top of this crack because this is doubling all these efforts, right? So we're taking the same concept as the bond breaker tape, uh, except for now our our coating itself is wider. And then the uh, flexible fabric that we add in the middle of there just gives you an extra guarantee that you're not going to have a crack in that space that would cause a leak into the environment. The reason we only do this detail for foot traffic only is because you will see when it's done that that fabric actually sits above the regular coating system. And even though it's encapsulated in that elastomeric, any kind of vehicle truck, truck loading, thing like that would just rip that off those seams. So, right. It has a tendency to want to crush it as well. So you don't want to put that kind of load on it. Just kind of when we talk about these control joints to review and wrap up. With foot traffic, you do a little bit more of a detail, but it's significantly safer and better for EPA regulations and things like that. For truck details, you have to just fill the crack with a flexible and that becomes uh, more of a maintenance item for the owners. That's right. And remember, when you're installing that backer rod, you want to keep it at a level depth all the way
0: across and your depth, the top of that backer rod wants to be about half as deep as your joint or your seam is wide. So that's kind of the rule of thumb that you're looking for, and that will generally put the right amount of sealant on top of it when you're done.
1: One other thing I just thought up, and I know that we're in the wrap-up, but we'll do this quickly. The other advantage that the backer rod gives you is the shape. Also, besides the adhesion, it gives you kind of a skinnier in the middle, wider at the sides, because it and that actually helps elongation properties as well. In fact, when you test for elongation, the test specimen isn't all that different of a shape. Right. It kind of looks like a bone. Yeah. So... But that's it for us. Uh, We'll see you next week. And uh, you guys have a happy Thanksgiving. And so,
0: for the CarbonLine Tech Service Podcast, I'm Paul.
1: And I'm Jack. And we'd like like to to thank thank you for your support. Who put the line?